we sing a song here uh, that has the lyrics, When I fear my faith will fail. It goes on, when the tempter would prevail. And then the lyrics express this, I could never keep my holds through life's fearful path. Or we sing another song that says this, when darkness veils his lovely face. And then it goes on to talk about when we're in every high and stormy gale. Talks about the overwhelming floods. And when everything else in the world around our souls gives way. And both of those songs are pressing into the reality of living in this world with faith. And our opening question is this, what is your faith in? What is your faith in? There's a theologian called James Smith who wrote this. He said, we're all Thomases now. Thomas is a Bible character who's famous for doubting. James Smith says, we don't believe instead of doubting, we believe whilst doubting. And I think what James Smith says in that uh, little comment is a marker, especially of a younger generation, generation X or Z, millennials. It's how we're brought up, it's how we're educated to question everything and anything. So we go into exams and we have to answer questions. What do you think the author says when they say... Or maybe in a history paper. The single biggest reason for the rise of the National Socialist Party was the reparations. Discuss. And we're educated to analyse and to question and it overflows into all of life. These questions about what is right. And as we think about our futures we think what is the right path. And so many of my generation and and younger are paralysed by doubt. What is your faith in? Perhaps you might say, I don't have any faith. But there will be things in your life that you entrust yourself to. People, relationships, maybe it's ideas or philosophies. Maybe it's reason or science. Maybe it's a combination of some or all of these things. And these are the things that your heart clings to when it's suffocated by the circumstances of your life. These are the things that your mind reiterates as your soul seeks to navigate the highs and lows of life on planet Earth in 2021. The things that you believe in and hold to, the things that give you purpose and safety. We're continuing this afternoon our look at the life of Jesus as given to us in the Bible in Matthew's account. Matthew was one of Jesus' followers. And we're going to think about faith and how we hold fast to Jesus in the face of difficult circumstances. If I make no mistake, whatever your faith, but certainly if your faith is in Jesus... Living in this world, your faith will be tested. It will be challenged. And maybe as we think back on the last year, and we think of COVID-19, and we think of government regulations, 
Maybe we think, my faith has been tested. Can your faith stand loneliness, singleness, rejection? Can it stand worry about what tomorrow will bring? And so we dive back into Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, and the story that Gwyneth has just read to us. After the dramatic events of last week, Jesus feeding 5,000 men and many women and children as well, we now find Jesus sending his disciples ahead of him. So down there in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of of Lake Galilee while he dismissed the crowd. Matthew doesn't give us the details, but we read in John's account that Jesus' miraculous feeding of these many thousands of people plants a seed into into the heads and minds and hearts of the people. This is good. We like this Jesus guy Let's make him king. They try to establish a new way, a new world order. Get this feast provider a bigger seat at the table and things will be better for us. And Jesus wants no part of it. We've seen in Matthew's gospel that Jesus has got his eyes on a bigger picture and a better mission than simply being made king. Of this one nation. Jesus wants no part of this. And it seems that Jesus especially doesn't want his disciples to have a part of this. They will be prone, Jesus sees, to this same thinking. One of the commentators puts it like this. He says, Jesus found it necessary to isolate them as quickly as possible from this seductive moment which ran counter to his own messianic agenda. He knows that if the disciples stick around, they will stand with the crowd and go, yes, let's make Jesus king right now. Jesus is the king. But not yet will he be recognised, and not in that way. And so he sends the disciples off ahead. He dismisses the crowd, and he himself, verse 23, went up onto the mountainside by himself to pray jesus does business with his father in light of all that has happened meanwhile the disciples are on the boats heading out onto the sea of galilee and things are getting hard the wind is against them as they set out sometime presumably in the evening they sail into the night but they make a snail's progress Verse 24, the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And then the key event takes place, verse 25, shortly before dawn. In a verse, Matthew skips over many hours of toil, of hard work, of putting lots of effort in and seemingly going nowhere. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, to the disciples, walking on the lake. We're going to think about what happens next under two headings. The godness of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus. The godness 
and the goodness of Jesus. So firstly, the godness of Jesus. We're going to put ourselves right in the boat. We're going to sit down next to your favourite disciple. I think Judas is going to have a, a bench to himself. And we're going to imagine what it's like. It's dark. Maybe there's a, that little hint of lightness shortly before dawn. We're in somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. And you've kind of gone nowhere. You're in the middle of the lake. You should have been there by now. And then suddenly you see a man walking towards you. What would you feel? What would your response be? I think there'd be a lot of this. Just. I think Matthew tells us they were terrified. This is utterly mental. And so we hear them say, it's a ghost. This is the only rational explanation for this. It's a ghost. This is not something that real people do. Bear in mind, amongst this group of disciples, there are experienced fishermen. Men who have made their living and have lived their lives on this body of water. Some people get to Matthew's account and go, well, clearly there's a sandbank somewhere. And Jesus is stood on a sandbank, but it looks as though he's walking on the water. But they are miles out. Matthew tells us they are a considerable distance. In the original, that's the phrase there, is many stadia. A stadia is, is about 200 metres. Okay, so conservatively, if we say many is at least five, we're talking at least a kilometre out into the middle of the lake and probably much further. The deepest part of the lake. There's no way that Jesus is on a sandbank. Matthew doesn't spend much time trying to convince us. And these are experienced sailors who know the water if there was a sandbank there, they're not going, it's a ghost! They're going east on the sandbank. Quite funny, that. But their response tells you that it isn't possible for this to be not a miracle. They are terrified. But what we need to do now is not just put ourselves in the disciples' viewpoint, but also in the viewpoint of somebody who Matthew is writing to. Matthew is writing an account of the life of Jesus with probably people from a Jewish background in mind. People who would have known the Old Testament. And if we know our Old Testament, we'll find a couple of references to, well, to walking on water. Listen to, to Job chapter 9 verse 8. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Psalm 77 verse 19. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Who is the he in Job? It's God. 
Who is the your in Psalm 77? It's God. And so for Matthew's readership, and for people who are familiar with the Bible as a whole, these are like clues going, hang on. This is a description of something that God does, metaphorically. God treads on the waves of the sea. God, his path leads through the sea and he doesn't leave footprints. If it looks like God and it smells like God, it is God. The other thing that Matthew does is that he tells us these events. He tells us last week's events of the feeding of the 5,000 and many others. And this week's event of Jesus walks on the water. He puts these two things together and it's almost like he's going, guys, this remind you of anything? Anybody familiar with the... With Exodus? Any remember when God fed many, many, many people in a miraculous way in the desert as he sent manna from heaven? Does anybody remember when God's people were trapped on the edge of the sea and God was leading his people into the promised land and suddenly the way opens up across the sea, through the sea? Matthew is telling those sat in the reader's chair, he's going, this man, this Jesus is the God of Job. He is the the God of Psalm 77. He is the God of the Exodus. He's the God of rescue. He is the God who made everything. As the boat fights against the winds and the buffeting waves, it's this God that comes to the disciples and speaks to them. And they say, in their terror, it's a ghost. But Jesus' response, verse 27, is an identifying statement. This is who I am. Take courage. Something that God says again and again and again to people in the Bible. It's a God phrase. It is I. Quite reminiscent of God's revealed name to his people in Exodus. I am. It is I. Jesus is God and at the end of these events in verse 33 that's the conclusion that the people in the boat the disciples and maybe others too that's what they recognize verse 33 those who were in the boat worshipped him saying truly you are the son of God Is it a miracle for a man to walk on water? Yes. Is it possible that the God who made the water, in all of its parts, every molecule that makes up the Sea of Galilee and every other sea, is it possible that God who can make all that can then command it to take his weight? Yes. This is the godness, the divinity of Jesus. 
And this should cause us to take confidence. Jesus is God. And as we examine all of the circumstances in our lives, we are able to look at Jesus and go, if he can walk on water and if he's got the power and the control and the authority over every molecule of water in the sea, he can do anything in my life, in our lives. He is able. And all the winds and all the waves in the world do not, cannot stop Jesus. He stands outside of our difficulties. He stands over our difficulties. And he can defeat the difficulties we face. He is bigger. And so when we examine our lives and the difficulties we face, not least the sinful tendencies in our lives and in our hearts and the consequences of sin that we face, we need someone who can come in who is bigger and greater and more powerful. We need power from the outside. We need otherworldly power. But not a ghost, but God. Jesus is God. So take confidence. Secondly, let's think about the goodness of God. Because in the midst of this story, as Matthew gives it, he gives us a personal account. A bit more detail than the other Gospels give us about this very event. Matthew points us towards Peter. Because as Jesus comes and says... Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Here comes Peter. Peter, a man of faith, an impetuous faith, because he's straight on it, isn't he? Jesus speaks and Peter comes straight back at him. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I think Peter's mind works differently to mine. Gotta say, I'm not expecting that. That doesn't seem like the rational response. And he's got a brave faith. Verse 29, when Jesus says, come, Peter gets down out of the boat. Peter, who spent a lifetime working on the Sea of Galilee, gets out of the boat in the middle of the sea. He's brave. But, verse 30, Peter is a man of little faith. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Of course, Matthew seems to be saying to us, Jesus is able to do the miraculous. And he shows us here that Jesus is able to be merciful. In how he deals with Peter as Peter begins to sink. But the question for us is, is Jesus willing? Is Jesus willing? Jesus invites Peter, come to me. And it appears, doesn't it, initially to be a great success. A mortal man, another mortal man, walks on water. Can you imagine the thrill of seeing that? Some of us are, are into sport. 
And there's, some, there's a thrill, isn't there, in seeing a true great in sport perform. Seeing a, a Messi in football or a Federer in tennis. Or maybe you're into music and when you see a, a, a certain opera singer or a great pianist play and you hear their, their performance and it thrills our soul. I think that's what it must have been like to watch Peter walk. For those that knew him and have been around him, Peter's walking on the water. This no one from nowhere. Peter from Galilee. Wow. I just want to say wow. But then he falters again. He takes his eyes off Jesus and instead, Matthew tells us, he sees the wind. You think, well, what? But he sees everything that the wind is doing. He sees the way that the wind is causing the waves to come up. He sees the fact that the boat is nowhere near where it ought to be. And he sees probably the deep, vast expanse of water beneath his feet and he starts to sink. What should Jesus think at that point? I think if I was Jesus, I'd be going, here we go again. Good start. Fails miserably. What a pathetic man. What a weak man. What a failure. And all of those are true. I think Jesus would be well within his rights to to give up on Peter. And I think that's what we expect from Jesus when we see our own hearts and our own lives clearly. When we see that our faith is often not in Jesus but in ourselves. When it's revealed to us that We look to relationships or to money or to success for our satisfaction. When we've become so caught up in worrying about what tomorrow will bring that we've covered our eyes. And instead turn to other things rather than Jesus. Jesus should give up on me. Jesus should give up on us. And in our hearts... We doubt. Jesus will give up on me. Because that's the right thing to do. Nothing makes our faith more vulnerable than our own sin. Worry is a sin because it stops us trusting Jesus. Where he's warned about by Jesus in the previous chapter. We looked at the parables. And what's one of the, the, uh, the seeds that doesn't grow up to be fruitful? Well, it, it happens because of worry. And here we find Peter worried. And maybe we're supposed to be reading this and going, Peter's not going to be fruitful. Will Jesus give up on Peter? Will Jesus give up on me? I would. But he won't. Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. As Peter calls out, verse 30, Lord, save me. As the water moves up his legs, up towards his top, as it moves towards his head, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand 
and caught him. We've been reading uh, as a group of men in the church this book by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And I thoroughly recommend it, not least because it points us again and again to the truth that Jesus is willing and is utterly for us. Utterly able and always willing to save us when we come to him. Here's one little quote. His love is great because it surges forward all the more when the beloved is threatened. And listen, even if threatened as a result of its own folly. We think Jesus will turn away and should turn away when we get ourselves in a mess. When our sin causes us to be weak and broken His love is great because it surges forward all the more when the beloved, when the people that Jesus loves are threatened, even if they are threatened as a result of their own folly. Jesus, even today, reaches his hand out towards us, even in our sin, if we would just turn back to him, even in our worry, even as we are sinking, Even those of us who have known him and followed him for many years and should know better. If we pray today, Lord, save me. We will hear today Jesus reaches out his hand and catches us. This is the goodness of Jesus. He is able to save and he is willing to save. Even, even Peter. Even again and again and again. As we finish up, let me call you back to where we started this question of faith. And the question, the key question for faith is not how strong it is. Not how great it is. Although they are important questions. The key question for faith is, what is your faith in? Or who is your faith in today and for tomorrow? And if our hearts tell us the truth, as the Bible says, for all eternity, who or what is your faith in And if it's not in Jesus, does it match up to this one who is able and willing to save? Jesus is willing. And Jesus is able. He is God and he is good. And so we sing. When darkness veils his lovely face, we rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, Our anchor holds within the veil. And we sing, when I fear that my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. 
he must hold me fast. Faith looks to Jesus and finds that he is able and willing to save again and again and again. And one of the ways that we express our faith is that we pray. We active, our active faith is to turn to God. And sometimes when our faith is flaky or failing, we think Jesus can't help. Or Jesus won't help. Matthew 14. And Jesus walking on the water tells us differently. Jesus can help. And Jesus will help. Jesus will answer our prayers. This is how we put our faith into action. So if you've come today with flaky faith, failing faith. Be confident. Look to Jesus. Be comforted. Look to Jesus. Look at his godness. And look at his goodness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do not give up on failing followers. You do not leave us Lord, when our decisions mean that we ought to drown, we ought to die. Lord, but you love us. And you are for us. And you will save us if we turn to you. Father, forgive us for where our faith has been weak. Father, forgive us for where we have been faithless. And help us even now to turn again, to turn our eyes to Jesus and to praise him and to worship him. And Father, help us to find our safety, our security, our comfort, our satisfaction in Jesus this day, this week, Lord, and forever. Father, we pray it for ourselves. We pray it for those whose faith is not in Jesus. Father, show them Jesus. Show them that he is incomparable. Lord, when it comes to the stakes of where we put our faith. Nobody is sure. Nobody is better. Nobody knows us more fully. There is no one who will never fail us. No matter how many times we fail him. Oh, Father, let us believe that and know the reality. Let us live in the light of your forgiveness. And let us worship King Jesus. In his name we ask all these things. Amen.